Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. You ready to roll? I'm ready. I'm having my third cup of coffee this morning. <laughs> you a coffee guy? I am. I'm uh, actually. I've started the switch to water, but this is my this is my go-to coffee mug. I love the Yeti. Oh uh, man, they're nice, aren't keeps they? Keeps it hot. I saw this uh, giant Yeti cooler on the back of this guy's trailer yesterday. Coming home, I live in Colorado, so we went to the mountains for Liberty Weekend camping, and of course. A ton of campers and ATVs and trailers coming back on the highway yesterday. This guy had this giant ATV on this trailer. And then in the front, there was this Yeti cooler. I didn't even know they made them that big. I mean, it was huge. It was, I don't know, five feet wide. Wow. It was giant. It had to be a $2,000 cooler probably. At least. (laughs) At least. Uh, Anyway, anyway, Greg Edwards on the Rider Flex podcast. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, you bet. You Cedar Rapids outside of there. I think you live on a farm somewhere. 60 I acres, do. I heard. Yep. I live on a farm uh, just north of Iowa City and just outside of Cedar Rapids a little ways. Okay. Very nice. Is this a farm that's been in your family or you bought uh, it? Or what's the story? No, just bought it. I, I grew up um, on, on a farm uh, and, or at least around a farm. Okay. Uh, as a kid, grew up in a little farming town and always wanted to have a a farm and didn't ever want to have to make a living as a farmer though. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to have, Hey, it's cool to have one, but I don't want to have to get up and like milk cows in the morning. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> uh, do you do anything with it? The 60 acres? So I have, um, I don't have any animals right now, but I have had cattle and goats in the past. Really? This, okay. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I love to have animals here, but just this latest startup has, taking a lot more of my time mm-hmm. uh, well, what do you do how do you uh do you lease it out do you let anybody it, yeah yeah so i do have there's a neighbor that's a farmer that are actual farmers that uh make hay off of off of the pasture and kind okay. of take care of take okay. care of the the land mm, very good okay well tell us about greg's early life a little bit give me some give me some family history Mom, yeah, dad, how, siblings, all that. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, how far back you want me to go? <laughs> well, you can stay when, when you were a kid, where you where you grew up. Tell us about your mom and dad, what they did for a living. You know, give us a little flavor. I always think it's interesting, you know, how you grew up, where you grew up, what your parents did. A lot of times right. that, that shapes who you are. So give yeah. me a little history. Yeah, so I grew up in a little bitty town in Iowa, 1,800 people. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a high school graduating class of 38. Ooh, <laughs> so, wow. All right. Tiny all right. and... Uh, my grandparents were farmers, several aunts and uncles that were farmers. And my dad actually owned a gas station and repair shop in, oh, really? in our little town. So okay. Okay. I knew everyone. I mean, I spent any, any extra time that I had at my dad's shop. So it was always around cars and, uh, and farms growing up. Uh, my, mm-hmm. So my dad was a mechanic and business owner. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom and then uh, an older sister and a younger sister that are um, all of us. My dad actually has moved to Missouri to a much bigger farm at this point. <laughs> oh, really? And uh, he's still so he's still an active farmer right now? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. And so can you work on your own cars? Can you do your own mechanic work? I can. I don't like to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably done, I don't know how many hundreds if not thousands of uh, brake changes that was kind of my brakes and mufflers that's what i did and oil changes um, so through high school through high school you worked at the shop 
Yeah. Yep. Mm, yep. Mm. Okay. Um, how, how in the heck did you become a, a crypto security guy <laughs> when you, 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 your grandparents and parents were farmers and mechanic? How'd that happen? Yeah. So we actually had an Apple IIe, I think, when I was in fifth grade. So this would have okay. been like 1983. Uh, that my mom used to keep the books for the, the gas station and repair shop. I see. I see. And I started coding uh, using basic and writing my own little games when I was, yeah, when I was in fourth and fifth grade. Interesting. Wow. And, okay. and I was the, uh, the student liaison. We had one of the first computer labs in the state of Iowa back in, and this would have been 83 or 84. Um, and because I, I probably knew more about computers at that point than anyone in maybe anyone in the town. Uh, so <laughs> I, was, I was the student liaison to implement the computer lab. How about that? And this is in that little high school, huh? What was the name yeah. of the town? Uh, Traer. Traer. Okay. Yep. All North, right. North Tama High School in Traer. I see. So that's how you got into computers. Okay. Early on. And you didn't go to school. You didn't go to college after high school. So I didn't. So actually dropped out of college. So I had a, I had a son when I was 19 and so dropped out of college. Actually, I wanted to be a chiropractor uh, was what I, what I was working on, but dropped out of college. And really the only thing that I knew was technology uh, and so got a job with a software company and that really took me down the path of, of the technology and security entrepreneur that I've become. Uh, I see now, now, did you get married at 19 too, or no, this was, we didn't, uh, didn't get married, um, okay. lived together for about three years and, and then it ultimately split up, but it was a, uh, excellent change in my life. I was uh, not exactly on the right path at 18, 19. And so made me grow up quick. Uh, and actually the first job that I had, um, I moved back to the town of Traer and we had a little manufacturing plant there. And I got a job working third shift, making, uh, making car doors. Wow. Wow. When you were 19, you, oh, wow. And so, and so you, and you lived with uh, your, Son's mom for three years tried to work it out. Okay, yep. very good. Are you yep. married now? Family now? I am married now. Um, my son uh, actually have a grandson. Ooh, uh, all right. So that's that's fun. Um, but yep, married now and two step kids and my son who are all out of the house. So we're empty nesters and live on our little farm in Iowa. It's fun to be an empty nester, right? Because you can spend money on yourself instead of kids, isn't it? Right. <laughs> right. Well, and then and then spoil the grandkids. And spoil the grandkids. Uh, a couple of oh, now, what do you call yourself? Are you are you Papa? Are you Grandpa? Uh, are you what? Grandpa, what's Grandpa Greg? Grandpa Greg. Okay, very good. How old's the, the you said grandson or granddaughter? I actually have a total. Uh, will be seven by the end of this year. <laughs> So, oh, so wow so, oh holy cow okay so all three of our co- collectively all three of our kids have kids so we have oh man all straight there's five right now and two on the way <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be busy at your house at christmas time <laughs> absolutely are they all nearby um so so one is very close within 10 miles and then the others are in minneapolis and rapid city south dakota I got you. Yeah. I have one granddaughter, one granddaughter. It's, it's great. I think being a grandparent is awesome. Right. I mean, you just spoil them, you know, you hang out and then, and then they go home. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think the thing is, is it's like the same love that you have for your own kids, but none of the responsibilities. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, the other thing about being an empty nester that I find fascinating is the the uh, we just go through very little food. Our, our expenses are super tiny. I, I'm just amazed these days. I, I always tell my wife, I'm like, wow, we uh, we live so cheaply compared to how how what we used to do. I can't even hardly believe uh, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And our kids, I don't know about your kids, but our kids were very active. Uh, yes. And so we were traveling for sports all the time and. Yeah, it was nonstop. It took have us a little. Of, 
took us a little bit to adjust to uh to the empty nest but we're loving it now (laughs) you ever thought about adding up the amount of money that you spent on traveling sports over the years like oh man i could have i could have like bought another house (laughs) yeah oh for sure would have paid for a lake house right (laughs) right (laughs) or a cabin cabin in the mountains for Mm -hmm. for you guys out in colorado yes no doubt no doubt uh okay well i appreciate you sharing some of that with me by the way being a step parent is not an easy job so congratulations on raising couple of stepkids too. That's uh that is a, it's not an easy task. So congrats. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. We, and our kids are all successful contributing members of society. So I feel like we did our job. Awesome. Good for you. All right. So, so you eventually, so you're working this, so you had a kid young, you, you're working this third shift and you're like, okay, what, what, what am I doing with my life here? What walk me through, walk me into the career a little bit. Go yeah. For it. Yeah. So we moved, um, my small family, uh, moved to Iowa city, which is where the university of Iowa was. And okay. my son's okay. mother, um, went to school there. So we made that move. And then that's when I really working that factory job. I mean, it was, it was rough, but it was, really eye-opening to make me realize the value of a dollar and that I didn't, didn't certainly didn't want to work in a factory and didn't want to work for anyone else the rest of my life. Um, but, but then when we moved to Iowa city, um, really looking to figure out getting a job and worked for a company called applied systems, which is an insurance software, actually the largest insurance software producer in the, in the world. Um, and that was really the only skill that I had outside of being a mechanic and I didn't want to do that. (laughs) Um, So got a job as a a software support tech and quickly moved up through the ranks within, uh, within the support system there. Uh, And then um, after I I believe I worked there for about four years and at 24, then quit and started my own consulting company, um, actually doing the on-site tech support for, um, for a lot of the insurance agencies in the state of Iowa. Did you have, when you quit your job, did you have a couple of clients lined up? Was that, a, was that a plan? Did the- it, it was, yeah, that, okay. that was the, that was the plan. I didn't have anything lined up because of my non-compete at the time. So knew uh-huh. that I needed to be careful about that, but, um, knew that I actually had a couple of clients, a financial services firm and a law firm um, that were outside the insurance industry that I started off with. And then as soon as my non-compete was up, then added the insurance clients. Okay. So for the listeners right there, when you made the move for all of the aspiring entrepreneurs listening, when you got ready to quit your, your day job, you had relationships going in the background that you, you knew that when you opened up your own LLC for consulting, you, you knew you had a couple of clients ready. Yeah. Yep. I had, okay. um, had two clients that were ready to go. Okay, um, good. and within, within a year, I mean, this was in 1998. So Y2K was on the horizon and everyone had to replace their servers and all of their desktops at that time. Mm, mm. Uh, and of course people waited till the last minute to do it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, end mm-hmm. of 98 was when I incorporated and then 99, um, I mean, I was busier than, than I could gotcha. handle. Gotcha. Um, and that's really what launched that initial company that I, I still own today. Which is Watchpoint IT? Correct. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So that was the consulting firm basically that you started 20 something years ago. Yep. And, and, and still active. Do you still run business through that still? side so run? I, yeah. yeah. So I do. Um, and I'm at, I'm an absentee owner at this point. Um, but still spend, I spend, you know, maybe five hours a week, um, okay. working on that business and still, still a bit active, but for the most part, absentee owner and um, have a really great client base. And that's mainly what I do is interact with clients that, that have become, I mean, I have clients still today from 1998. Wow. Wow. How many are you running employees through that company? Yeah. So four employees. So it's small. At at one point we were up to 14 or 16 employees um, and we were doing 
in that. So this is a managed services business now, yeah. but it was break fix. I mean, we did all just project work and break fix. Okay. And had at the biggest, I don't remember if it was 14 or 16 employees. I had bought one of our competitors out and around uh, 2012, 2014 timeframe about drove myself insane trying to manage all, all of that. Uh, mm. And so really scaled back and streamlined the business. Um, and that's where now now being uh, an absentee owner and, and not running the day-to-day, it's a great business and everything passive, is- And passive income for your family. For the most which, part, yep, yep. Which is, which is great. Okay, yeah, isn't it funny, you know, more revenue and more employees does not mean more profit and more happiness. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> more headaches and bigger payroll sometimes. Uh, I tell people that all the time. You know, I, I talk to, you know, independent business owners and let's say they're doing, a, I don't know, let's say they're doing a million dollars in revenue and they're taking home 200 grand a year personally. I always tell them, I always say, look, man, that's right that's fine right there where you're at. If you keep going, it could just get worse. It could get messier. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that my, you know, just the maturity level of the entrepreneur, like what you, yeah, I think a lot of times we go and start businesses because it's something we love and we have a passion for and really aren't business owners. And <laughs> that's the the transition that I've made over the, you know, over the last 20 years mm-hmm. is to understand how to be business owner as opposed to a, you know, running the business. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Now at some point, what, what happened? What was crypto stopper? Is that something you started or were they a client for Watchpoint? And then they recruited you in as CEO? So that's, yeah. That's, that's something that, that we started. Uh, so prior to Crypto Stopper, I had started an offsite backup and disaster recovery company out of the managed services business. So we were managing people's backups. We started doing offsite tape storage back in, you know, back in the early aughts okay. uh, and then would recover their systems. We would maintain all of the servers and everything that a company would need to power up and run from our location. So Access Backup was a separate company that you had started. I see. Okay, doing that. I got it. All right. Yep. And that turned into once um, distributed computing systems in a data center, what we now call the cloud, uh, Mm. became available. Uh, We started doing offsite backup and disaster recovery and then grew that nationally out of you know, very small beginnings with, mm-hmm. with clients that were part of the managed services business. I see. Okay. How'd you come up with crypto stopper? How'd you, how did you decide that brand yeah. Go for it? Well, so starting in, in about 2012, um, or actually in 2012 is when we saw our first ransomware attack. Okay. And so that grew ransomware became by 2015 became the most common reason to have to restore. I mean, and that became the most common kind of disaster that our offsite backup clients were having. We actually had 20% of the client base between 2012 and 2015 hit by ransomware that needed full-on recoveries. Mm-hmm. So that that early education in ransomware and the engineers mm-hmm. that I had working for me at the time, um, we basically got together and said, okay, how do we flip this so that we're not recovering from these attacks because even when there's good backup and you can recover it's still massively devastating to the company i mean they're still down anywhere from hours to usually more like several days Mm -hmm. uh, to even a couple weeks recovering even when there is a good backup Mm. and so we said okay what can we do to reverse this so that we're not recovering and we can stop these attacks before they become a full-on disaster. Sounds like you went, it sounds like you went from firemen to fire prevention. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. And timing was good. The offsite backup industry was becoming pretty commoditized and our, we had a very unique system at the time, starting back in 20, 
2007, but by 2015, what we were doing for offsite backup and disaster recovery wasn't wasn't that uncommon anymore. Um, and I was able to sell access backup to J2 Global, which is a publicly traded, um, pretty massive company in 2016. So ah. I had to get from that. Okay. Okay. So you had a nice exit from that. And then did you use that cash to get crypto stopper going, going yep. even further? Okay. Yep. Yep. And, and actually crypto stopper started out as Watchpoint data, um, which was a managed services security mm. business. So mm. we were, we took the idea of that prevention model and built out a full security suite. And as part of that actually built the tool crypto stopper because none of the, none of the tools at the time would actually stop that actively running ransomware when it got past everything else. And I so see. that evolved um, and made sense to spend crypto stopper out as its own company. And that actually was in 2019. Okay. Give us the three minute elevator pitch real quick for crypto stopper, stopper as it stands today. Go for it. All right. So we use what's called deception technology that deploys bait files throughout a network to stop actively running ransomware. So when you think about the problem of ransomware, it's really just malware that gets through the antivirus and the protections that are in place. And there's nothing once it gets through and starts running to stop it. So what we did is built a system where algorithm watches our bait files and watches the native files for actively running ransomware and kills and isolates it. When you say bait, when you use the word bait, I, I'm, I'm having this vision like fishing, like you're throwing out a lure, <laughs> like you're throwing out a lure to get a hit so that you know when there's a bite so that then you can take action. Is, is, yeah, is it's, that... it's similar to that. It's, it's more like chumming. If you're familiar, if you've ever heard okay. uh, ocean okay. fish, all right. <laughs> um, we're we're spreading those files. We take and every installation has unique files that are generated for that install. So they're automatically installed with the the application and deploy throughout the network. So it's really we're chumming the network for um, for ransomware. And we're putting those bait mm -hmm. files throughout. And then the typical users don't, they don't see them, but they also shouldn't be interacting with them. Okay. And so when those files get hit, then it's a very good indicator that active ransomware is running. And then what happens? They, so, it gets hit and then you send out a, you send out a torpedo to blow yeah. them up or what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, so, and that's a big differentiator with our product is that, automated action. So there are other tools out there that will recognize that it's running and send an alert, okay. but doesn't really, kill it. it doesn't uh, kill it. And I so see. what we do is we identify the, the pro either there's two different versions of it. There's a server version that will isolate the attacking machine and cut it off from the rest of the network. And then there's also a desktop laptop version that if it's running at that local level, it'll kill the process mm. that's running it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now do, so do companies call crypto stopper after they have a problem or before they have a problem or both? Do you still serve so both? both. Um, the problem is we can't, we can't help after the fact. <laughs> so, but lots of times we do get those calls after the fact and we we do have the expertise to guide people in you know what they should do mm -hmm. as far as how do they recover determining if they can recover if mm -hmm. they need to pay the ransom um what they do and then we help them actually about 50 percent of our clients come to us after they've been hit mm -hmm. um and then we help them to make sure they don't get hit again i see is it a monthly fee what, how, what's the business model yeah, so the business model, and we've actually switched from selling direct to selling all through managed service providers. So to, to purchase CryptoStopper, it has to be through a reseller. Um, and we made that change actually this year um, to sell only through managed service providers. So, and the, the reason for that is so that they have, they have that expertise to be the on-site um, installer and manager of the system. 
so who am I buying it from? Give me an example. Yeah, so, so um, I can't, I don't know of any in the city of Denver, but like Watchpoint IT. So my managed services business w- would be a typical reseller. So mm. the company that is already doing the IT support for small to mid-sized businesses, which there are 42,000 of these managed service providers I see. in the U.S. Mm. Uh, and they then would install it for their clients. So if, if a business calls you like Riderflex, if I call you, you say, hey, you need to call this IT service provider in your area and talk to them. Exactly. We'll make that intro and we'll even work with mm. with both sides to do a, do a demo and um, bring them together. Now, isn't that lower margins for you? Because basically you're, you're wholesaling instead of selling direct to the consumer, so to speak. Is that, how is that more beneficial? How is that more beneficial for you? Well, so these 42,000 managed service providers have been dealing with ransomware and understand the problem of ransomware. Okay. So number one, it's much easier to sell to them because they, okay. they get the problem. Okay. They've All been right. dealing All with right. it already right. for years and looking for a solution like this. I um, see. So it makes our, it makes our sales process much, you know, our, our process mm-hmm. is much easier. They don't, I mean, all these, these, they've been doing it for a long time. They don't already have their own in-house ransomware guys that can do this stuff. (laughs) Nope. No, there's not. um, There are some other tools coming on the market now. um, Uh But I mean, we've got a, we've got a three to four year lead on the competition that's out there. Even when, even when you look at um, big name companies like a, you know, a Cisco or, uh, semantic antivirus, those kind of mm-hmm. existing tools, they have, they've been focusing on trying to like stop the ransomware and trying to stop it before it starts mm-hmm. as opposed to, okay, some's going to get through because as an IT guy, I've known some malware is always going to get through no matter how good the protection is. Like a user is going to click on something that the antivirus hasn't been updated for and it's going to get through. Well, now with ransomware, those few malware attacks that do get through are almost always ransomware. Okay, I see. So they get through, they start running, and there's nothing to do other than recover from backup or pay the ransom. Mm. And that's where our tool stops that attack and only, you know, typically a five or six files will, will be included in that and be collateral damage as opposed to 6 million files. Wow. So I can't just depend on Riderflex can't, can't depend on Norton to just block everything for me. Absolutely not. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I need to call, uh, some service provider, not, not the person I use, not, 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 not my internet provider, but like an IT services firm of some. Yeah, kind. exactly. Yeah. So most, most small businesses don't have an in-house IT right. staff. So right. you've got, most of them have an outsourced company that manages their IT. So typically somewhere between, uh, and this number is going up, but somewhere between hundred and 300 uh, users on a network is where companies make that switch from going to having all outsourced IT to in-house IT. Now, when I think IT, see for a small company, I'm thinking about the company that runs our website and, and manages, you know. <laughs> yeah. So these are these are the the guys that would manage the the PCs and the servers and the cloud services that okay. that small businesses utilize. Now all my stuff's in all Riderflex has all of their data in Google in Google drive. Right. So, I mean, isn't Google protecting me? <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately. So it is easier with Google. So really what, what you need to look at are, you know, number one crypto stopper, but then also making sure you have a good backup of your Google Docs. So mm, mm. even, and, and most people don't because you most think, people oh, don't. No. Google's doing that, right? Right, right. Well, they're not doing, they're not doing backups. 
they're doing business continuity so that if one of their data centers fails, they can bring you back up and running. But if you were to get hit by ransomware or had an employee that caused a problem, then and wipes out all of your files, mm. then Google is going to replicate that you know, whatever happened across all of their data centers mm. and those docs are gone. So you still need a backup of didn't did not Google know that. Docs. That that's good. That's good uh commoner uh, uh, education for me and a lot of other small business owners that have everything in Google Drive. Yeah. So, yep. Same so if everything's hold- in Google Drive, it needs to be backed up, back, backed up somewhere. Right. And there are companies out there that do specifically that. Mm, I see. Not, that, that's not you guys, though. You don't do that. You don't back Correct. up stuff. We, yep, okay. we don't. We don't. Okay. And back to the uh, getting your product through the service provider. Is it a monthly subscription or what yep. is it? Yep, monthly subscription. So we charge the the managed services companies, okay. and then they pass that on to their clients. Okay. All right. And is it um, per user, per size of company? How do you charge? What's we the do it? Um, we do it by the size of the managed service provider. So how many end users are they supporting? Okay. And is so, it a year? Do you have to sign up for a year? Is it month to month? It's all month to month. Okay. Very good. And yep. and. All right. And how many of these service providers are across the country and how many are current clients for you? So 42,000 across the country. And I believe we just broke 60. I know we were at like 58 at the end of end of August and then signed up a couple more. Well, your sales guys got plenty of leads, right? Whoever whoever (laughs) charges sales. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And who and the competition, you said you're ahead of the competition. What? Talk to me. I don't, you don't have to name the comp- the competitors, but how are you different? Why are you special? How are you ahead of them? Yeah. So the, the big differentiator is that we're watching for that attack actively running. So when you think about, so like antivirus is our traditional competitor in this because companies think, oh, you know, my Norton antivirus is protecting me, right? I don't. Right don't need the secondary protection. Um, and it's just, I mean, there's a, there's a ransomware attack on a U.S. business or government entity every 11 seconds in the U.S. right now. And that's, wow. exp- and 77% of those entities that are hit have up-to-date antivirus, meaning, you know, it's, it's out there, it's installed in the, and it's still getting through. And that's always been the case with malware. I mean, some malware, always gets through. And what we do is we're watching for that actual action of ransomware running and then isolate and kill it. Now, is that, that's not secret, top secret, proprietary, patented. It is. It is. We do have a patent on Ah. the algorithm of how we do that. Oh, okay. That's key. All right. That's critical right there. All right. Yeah. All right. And uh, how big is the company right now? I don't know if you want to speak to so, revenue, but maybe employees. Yeah, you want 12, to share. 12 employees. Um, and we're a little over, uh, I'm comfortable sharing our revenue, a little over 300,000 in annually recurring revenue um, on the path to quickly get to a million. Nice. And the goal, um, the goal as an entrepreneur in this business is to get it to at least 10 million and annually recurring revenue and then exit to a, a Cisco or someone that can take it globally. And then Greg retires and buys some more animals for the farm. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I'll retire. I mean, I'm, I'm not one to uh, <laughs> sit around for too long. I'll get bored. Uh, and you're on a cash raise. Do you want to talk about any kind of cash raise stuff on the podcast here? Yeah. So we're, we're actually doing a $1.5 million raise currently. So I bootstrapped initially to get get the company started and off the ground um, and now and we're raising actually two million total this year which we have nine hundred thousand of in in already so five hundred thousand of that I put Con- in committed myself. or committed or in the bank in the bank nice so, congratulations thank you thank you uh, and fundraising is a is <laughs> something I've never done I've bootstrapped all the other companies that I've started. Um, but it's going to take about 
um, well, from the beginning of this year to get to that 10 million in ARR is going to take $7 million, mm. uh, and just more than, more than I could, uh, pony up myself as the founder. Uh, now, so are, uh, are you hundred percent? Well, you're not hundred percent owner anymore now that you took the 900 K I'm guessing, but right. Um, I'll end up, uh, my goal is to end up at at least 40% owner after okay. that full $7 million. After raise. the full, oh. Hey, if you raise $7 million and you still control 40%, uh, I'll be impressed, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk in about a year and a half. I'll let you know how that, yeah, how that goes. Yeah, that, that's going to be, that's a, that's a tough challenge right there. But you're still in control of the cap table right now. As of today, are you in control? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, you've been in control, so to speak, for most of your life of all these entities you've held. <laughs> That day that you take enough cash to actually give up board control or quote voting control, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a weird feeling for you. I think you'll, you'll you'll have some emotions around that, I think. Yeah, I've I've warmed up to it a little bit already. Um, <laughs> and I I'm I'm ready for that transition and really have worked to take the emotion out okay. of it. I mean, as entrepreneurs, I think we start these companies and they're our baby. Right. Um, And we grow them and we shepherd them along. uh, And then that emotion becomes a hindrance. And Mm, yes, totally agree. Yeah. And really taking that out of it and looking at it for what it is. I have built Crypto Stopper to be able to take this to the world because I think this is something that every network enterprise needs on their network. Mm -hmm. And I know that I don't have the reach to be able to do that globally. And so I'm growing this in stages. And when it's time for me to step back and not be the, I, I envision being the, the face of the company, at least for the, the next several years. But once, once Cisco takes over, then, or whoever, <laughs> then that, I don't, I don't need to be the face of it anymore. And I can let go. You said you raised 900 already. Is it, was that angel money or what would you call that friends and family? Or so, what was that? Well, yeah. a combination of a, so 500,000 of that was a uh, part of the state funding that actually had to mortgage my, my house and my property ooh, for, ooh, ooh. Um, but it was a 0% interest five-year loan. Um, okay. that I could, oh, so, so non-dilutive for that. So that 500,000 piece I see. was non-dilutive mm, 400,000 of it so far is angel investors and the remaining 1.1 million, um, will be angel investors as now, well. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, the 400 from angels you took so far for, for crypto stopper, that's the first time in, in your entire life that you've actually taken cash because the rest of the businesses you bootstrap. <laughs> is that, yeah. is that well, accurate? So close. There was some friends and family. There was about um, three, I want to say 350,000 that other local investors and uh, a friend put in outside cool. of outside of what I also put in prior to the prior to the 500,000 earlier this year. Okay. It's stressful taking people taking money from other people, right? Yeah, it really really was very stressful at first. I've, I've also tried to take the emotion out of that. I really, I mean, I felt like I was out with my hand out, you know, trying, trying to take money. Um, and I've really, I mean, the way that I look at it now, I mean, these investors are going to get a whole, you know, hopefully minimum 10 X return on this capital. And so I feel like now I'm doing them a favor by bringing this investment opportunity to them. And That's it. Yeah. And I, and I've also just know, I mean, I know it's going to take $7 million to get us where we need to go. And I personally can't put that kind of capital in. You got, I'm I'm assuming you have this all whiteboarded out uh, with the 7 million, this much is for software engineers, this much is for sales, marketing, whatever. Yep. All of that. Yeah. I have a, a spreadsheet with about 14 tabs on it <laughs> takes <laughs> takes all of that into account. I'm not a big fan of spending a lot of time on the monopoly fantasy plan. I mean, I, I know it, I know it has to be done to raise cash, but so much of it is, 
I don't know if speculation is the right word, but, but so much of it it's, is, Hey, I, I think this is where the cash is going to go. I can't, who knows how many times we'll have to pivot. Who knows? I mean, it, you know. yeah, no, I I'm right there with you on the, it, it is all speculative, Yeah, yeah. but you've got to have a vision for yes. where it goes. You've got to be able to articulate that vision to mm-hmm. others. And then you've mm-hmm. got to have something to measure against. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where you can't you can't just speak it you need to <laughs> you need to be able to have it have it on a spreadsheet or some sort of formula to say here's what we're measuring against yes i'm guessing as an it guy spending time on decks like that is probably like pulling teeth right you probably <laughs> you probably just so, oh my god i got to work on this today <laughs> yeah, so here's here's the way that I do it, and a secret that isn't really a secret, but I do it in 15 minute increments. Okay. Because I, I set a timer. I say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna dedicate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might take me. You know, I might have to have 10 of those 15 minute sessions, but that makes it much easier for me to go get started on it because I mm-hmm. hate it. I mean, mm-hmm. I yes. truly do hate it. <laughs> but it has to be done. And I'm the only one at this point that can do it. I mean, it doesn't make sense to have a CFO at this point. Um, So yeah, and breaking it down into those 15 minute increments that allows me to get it done. That's a great tip. That's a really good tip. I haven't heard that one before. I like it though. I I need to do the same. How about the uh, setting across the dinner table trying to get the guy to have his third glass of wine. So he'll, he'll write the check for cash. I bet that's fun too, isn't it? You know, actually that has become fun for me. Um, it wasn't exactly in the, you know, in the beginning. Um, but I mean, it's really, it's a sales process and it's, you've got to, as the entrepreneur, you've got to be able to show the value just like you would in a sale. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, it's, it's very much like a sales process and there's a lot of follow-up. There's a lot of, a lot of, you know, it's not just one meeting to, to get it done. It's multiple meetings, proving that value and, and taking away the risk for them to, because as an angel, especially as an angel investor, they're taking on a huge amount of risk in these in these startup companies mm-hmm. and they're looking to get a 10x return on at least one out of 10 so that they can they can make a profit and you've got to show them how you're removing the risk from them to be able to invest and you know i i've actually started to enjoy it and probably getting a lot better at it you're right uh where, where's the 10x return and try to eliminate the risk for them. Those are the two big ones, obviously, besides the relationship and the quality of the service of the product. Yeah, right. great, great. If you had to give, and I know we could do a full hour podcast on this, but I don't know, one or two quick tips to an aspiring entrepreneur out there that had the job like you did, wants to start their own service business, hasn't quit yet. What would you tell that, that listener today? Uh, so the first thing I that is very important to me is transparency and integrity. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I did early on, I think just out of my natural personality. Um, but being transparent with, as you're adding in, whether it's employees or clients on being transparent in the process, I'm, I'm an open book for any of our employees or any of our clients to ask me anything. And I think that that's important. And then having integrity around that. So being transparent and holding yourself to a high standard of integrity. Mm, I, very, very good. You know, I think those are the, those are the two things. And then being persistent and working your ass off. <laughs> how about this? Uh, how about somebody that wants to be a business owner? They started their own business. They got busy uh, over the last 24 months and all of a sudden they have 20 employees and they're trying to learn how to be a CEO. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I think, first of all, step back, look at, you know, that's a great problem to have, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, but step back, evaluate. You got to start with the PL, I would say, and look at where's the profit coming from? Where's it going? And is this what I want to be doing? And if it is, then keep growing it. If it's not, change direction. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to pivot, which you have done. You've, you've started different LLCs, you've pivoted, you've changed as different opportunities have come your way. That's one of the most impressive things about your story. As I listen to you talk all the way back from the beginning, you, you're like, hey, here's an opportunity. I know this needs to be done. I know there's work over here. Oh, now I'm going to pivot to this. Now this is happening. You've done a great job of that uh, your well, entire life so far. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I, some of it's been unintentional. The last several years has been much more intentional once I recognized um, how, you know, how that was happening and doing it with intention now as just kind of floating around. So <laughs> I, I appreciate you recognizing that. Let me ask you, I know we got just about 10 minutes left here. Uh, lifting it up to 30,000 feet with uh, security and cyber attacks and, and things like that. Are we in a space now or are we entering a time where warfare, so to speak, will, will be all of what will be this? It'll, there, there won't be any more missiles and bombs and tanks. It'll just be all through the computer and attacks and information and, and, and data being held hostage and this kind of thing. I mean, I can't, for example, and then I'll be quiet here and let you answer, but for example, I can't imagine what would happen if if some bad guys somewhere on planet Earth captured Google and 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 stopped that machine. The number of businesses and people that would be effective would just be unbelievable. So are we are we entering a time where that's where that's what warfare is? It's all about that. So we're headed that way. I mean, we're we're going to see a a combination of both over the next several years and hopefully it doesn't escalate from cyber warfare to warfare warfare Mm -hmm. i mean we we may see that i hope that that doesn't happen um and this will actually hopefully be a better transition uh so that you know cyber war as long as people aren't dying i would say is better than war war that's Um, good yeah good point you know, we have we did see our first death because of a ransomware attack um, last year. There was a hospital in Germany that was taken down because of a ransomware attack, and then en route, an ambulance had to be redirected. Took an extra twenty minutes to get to an emergency room, and a woman died in transit. So, wow. that that has already escalated to you know to human casualty. Uh, and, uh, and it's going to continue to escalate, unfortunately. I mean, right now, just specifically with ransomware, um, 11, one, one ransomware attack every 11 seconds happening, that's expected by 2031 to be every two seconds. And so the problem is getting worse. Cyber, cyber attacks, cyber warfare are going to get worse before they get better. Uh, and I would expect in the mid 2030s that we'll, we'll hopefully have gotten to a point where the protections are good enough that it's not a problem anymore, but it, it's gonna be something that we live with as long as there's technology, there'll be cyber attacks. Yeah, well, as long as there's human beings, cause there's always good and bad, right? There's always good guys and bad guys. Uh, how many times a day do you think Google's attacked? Uh, it would be more like how many times a second is Google attacked. So it is nonstop. I mean, in in the average business is attacked hundreds of times a day. It's a matter of, are they getting through? And that's, that's really, I mean, it's just a constant stream of attacks. Where are these trolls? What are these trolls living in underground caves with, with, with well, so here's the thing. who Who are these people? Yeah. So in they're in, I mean, they're in every country all over the world, but if you specifically look at countries like Russia there, it is not illegal for a Russian citizen to attack a company or an individual through cyber attack 
anywhere else in the world, as long as they stay away from Russian citizens and Russian companies, it is absolutely not illegal for them. Now, see, okay, I hadn't even thought of that point, right? So I'm, okay, that's a great point for, for us commoners. Yeah, if you live in another country, maybe it's not illegal there to do what they're doing. See, I hadn't even thought of that. Wow, yeah, interesting. Yeah, there's no, and there's no moral dilemma for them. Mm. I mean, mm. they're taking money from these wealthy Western countries mm. and bringing it into their own pocket and spending it in Russia. And so it's, it's almost like a Robin Hood kind of situation for them as they wow. see it. Wow. Wow. Now, see, that's, this is where I, I can see countries rolling tanks in is when it, some, some guy in Russia captures Facebook and Google and all of a sudden Facebook and Google are going to the current administration saying, Hey, <laughs> we need help here. And now yeah, we're sending, and, now we're sending jets over. Right. I mean, that's something like that. Yeah. And so with the colonial pipeline attack that happened earlier mm. this year, so that was mm. a ransomware attack perpetrated looks like by Russian attackers um, shut off 45% of the oil and gas flow to the East coast. <laughs> that's the kind of event that will yeah. escalate to warfare warfare yeah that's when somebody's calling somebody from the u.s is calling over there saying hey look <laughs> i know that i know that your guy may not be committing some sort of russian crime but if you don't stop him we're, there's going to be problems <laughs> yeah and the thing is so that group shut down so mm. you know but mm. they've already come back as a different you know wow new branding wow wow answer fascinating two last questions Wrapping up here, Greg, if you could call the uh, young man graduating high school uh, and tell him anything now based on uh, what you learned, is there two or three things you would tell the young Greg today? I would say think bigger. You know, growing up in a, in a small town and there, there, wasn't, there weren't the technology entrepreneurs that we see today, um, my, my worldview was very small and the, you know, what I thought I could do was pretty small. Um, and so think bigger would be the first thing. And then um, I think other than that, do everything you're doing. Okay, very good. And then the last question is, if you could, at this stage in your life, considering your, your kids are grown and, and so forth, what what's Greg's core purpose now, besides being a great grand grandfather, okay, besides being yeah. a good grandpa, what what's your other than that, Besides being a great husband and a grandfather, let's set that aside. What's Greg's yep. core purpose in life right now? Yeah, so it's actually to, to help the employees that work for me take it up to the next level. So okay. everyone has a stake in the company. And when great. we exit, then I want it to be life-changing for them. Very nice. Excellent. Greg, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Steve. It was fun.